Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, loving God, we give you thanks and praise for all the graces and blessings you pour on us every day. So many gifts that we just take for granted. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your mother and the countless ways you have blessed us through her love and her motherly protection. Lord, we pray that as we look once again these messages of Fatima, that you will open our hearts to hear the call, the call to holiness, the call to change our lives, the call to make reparation for our failures and for the failures of the world. Help us not to have fear, but to trust in your love and to respond to this love. Give us the grace, Lord, to respond to these messages so that we can experience your love and your mercy. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Blessed Francisco and Jacinta, pray for us. Blessed Pope John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today we want to continue with part two of the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima. First of all, we want to look at two of what's called the three secrets of Fatima. Then we want to have a look at the final apparition, which is the really important apparition that happened on the 13th of October. And then I want to just discuss some really important ways we need to be looking and interpreting this message very easy to take this message wrongly, to get filled with fear, to miss the love and the mercy that is behind this message. But first let's look at the first secret. The first secret then was the vision of hell and the prediction that World War I would end soon and Mary's prophecy of a night illuminated by an unknown light would precede a worse war. Then the second secret involved the future of Russia. That Russia would spread her errors throughout the world, promoting wars. These young children didn't know what Russia was. They thought Russia was a bad woman. They didn't realize that it was the beginning of what would become the Soviet Union. And the lady calls for the consecration of Russia to her immaculate heart. And if people attend to her request that Russia will be converted and the world will have peace. Now some people interpret Pope John Paul II's 1984 consecration of Russia as fulfilling that prophecy and paving the way for the subsequent collapse of the Soviet Union. Which obviously is not the full conversion of Russia because Russia is a long way from it. But there's no doubt that it couldn't even begin until the Soviet Union collapsed. So that consecration that Pope John Paul did in 1984, in 1989 the Berlin Wall collapsed. But again, if you want to hear more of that, have a listen to the earlier talk that we did on the great Marian Pope. And the third secret, which was sealed 
until the year 2000, uh, we'll look at a little later. So August the 13th, 1917, it's a Monday. The crowd had now grown to around 15,000. But they heard the news that the children had been kidnapped by the civil authorities. By the way, there's a great movie on Fatima. It's a very old movie. But if you want to um, hear or understand what went on and get a better appreciation of, of some of the struggles that the visionaries had to go through, it's a great movie for that. And it certainly goes into that whole bit of how they were kidnapped and taken into another room and the authorities pretended to kill one at a time in an effort to make the others confess that it wasn't true, their apparitions and their claiming of seeing the beautiful lady. So, the children had been kidnapped by the civil authorities. But the crowd got very angry when they heard about this. And then suddenly there was a loud, frightful clap of thunder and a blinding flash of light. And then a small, brilliant white cloud descended to where the children meet Our Lady in the previous apparitions. The cloud remained for a few minutes and then rose to the heavens. A supernatural light remained, however, there was also a heavenly fragrance of flowers that people experienced. So Our Lady made her presence known even though the children could not be there. And the children were later released later that day after enduring some really terrible hostile treatment and threats of death by the civil authorities. So then, just a few days later, on August the 19th, this was a Sunday, a lady appeared to the children while they were pasturing their sheep. She urged the children to continue coming on the 13th of the month and to pray the rosary every day. She repeated her promise of the miracle on October 13th, but that it would be less great because of the treatment of the children. In other words, because the children had been treated so badly, the miracle would not be as spectacular as previously planned. So there's a wonderful lesson in that again for us, that our actions have consequences and we can lose graces easily. Our Lady further said, Pray, pray a great deal and make sacrifices, for many souls go to hell because they have no one to make sacrifices and to pray for them. She also said that in October, St. Joseph too will come with the Holy Child to bring peace to the world. Our Lord will also come to bless the people. Our Lady of the Rosary and Our Lady of Sorrows will come too. The vision then rose in a cloud of light and disappeared. And so the following month then, September 13th, was a Thursday. The crowd had now grown to over 30,000 people. Many people see the small white cloud descend to where the children are. They also saw what looked like a rain of colourful rose petals, which vanished when reaching the ground. Lucia cried out, You must pray, and thousands of pilgrims fell to their knees praying. Lucia asked Our Lady, What do you want of me? Our Lady replied, Continue to pray the rosary every day in order to obtain the end of the war. In October, our Lord will come and Our Lady of Sorrows and of Mount Carmel and St. Joseph with the child Jesus to bless the world. God is pleased with your sacrifices, but he does not want you to sleep with the rope on. Wear it only during the day. Lucia said, People have begged me to ask you many things. The cure of some sick persons, of a deaf mute. And Our Lady replied, Some I will cure, others not. In October I shall perform a miracle so that everyone may believe. Lucia then rose and said, If you wish to see her, look in that direction. People could see the small white cloud ascending into the sky. Now it's touching how Our Lady says that God was pleased with their sacrifices 
but he does not want them to sleep with the rope on. They used to wear a coarse rope around themselves as a form of penance. And so God asked them not to do it in the night, but only during the day. Then October 13th, the big day that everyone had been waiting for. It was a Saturday. And of course, Saturday, as you know, is traditionally the day we honour Our Lady. And more than 70,000 people were there, both believers and critics. They'd all gathered in the field, but the weather was terrible. It was pouring rain. And there were many newspaper reporters and photographers there to record the miracle or prove that the children were lying. The crowd was standing in the relentless pouring rain with mud up to their ankles. Many people were saying the rosary. And suddenly Lucia cried out, Put down your umbrellas, everyone. To Jacinta and Francesco she said, Kneel down, Our Lady is coming. I have seen the flash. Lucia then said to Our Lady, What do you want of me? Our Lady replied, I am the Lady of the Rosary. I have come to warn the faithful, to amend their lives and to ask for pardon for their sins. They must not offend our Lord any more, for he is already too grievously offended by the sins of men. People must say the rosary. Let them continue saying it every day. And she also said, I would like a chapel built here in my honour. She said that the war will end soon, and the soldiers would not be long in returning to their homes. As Our Lady was about to leave, she pointed to the sun, and Lucia cried out, Look at the sun! The rain had stopped, and the black clouds parted, and the sun began to whirl in the sky, scattering rays of multicoloured light and lighting up the entire countryside. The sun whirled for three minutes, stopped, and then resumed again a second and a third time, lasting a total of 12 minutes. The sun span faster each time and at the end seemed to tear itself from the sky and began plunging to earth. The crowd was on their knees, terrified, asking pardon for their sins, fearing that the end of the world was at hand. At the last moment the sun halted its descent and returned to its normal position. The miracle ended with the rain-soaked earth and the people's clothes now being completely dry. There were many reported healings. The miracle was seen over a 600-square-mile area. Portugal newspaper reporters gave long and detailed accounts, but newspapers in most other countries ignored the story. As the crowd was witnessing the miracle of the sun, the children saw visions of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. They also saw our Lord carrying his cross with his mother, Our Lady of Sorrows. Lucia also saw Our Lady of Mount Carmel, who signifies the triumph over suffering. So, very powerful apparition on that last day. One of the things I wanted to do in looking at this whole topic of Fatima was to really open up the words of Jesus and Mary. Because so often when Fatima is talked about, it's not mentioned. Maybe just a few, one or two messages, but I think to really take on the message and understand it, we have to listen to what Our Lady is saying to us, listen to what Jesus is saying to us. The words are very powerful. And yes, they may cause us a little discomfort. We may not like to hear that we're, we're doing wrong things or we're on a bad path. But we need to know. It would be a bit like being on a train heading for a cliff. And somebody on the train says, look, we need to stop and get off this train because further up the track, the line's out and we're going to go over a cliff. Now, can you imagine if some people on the front of the train decided not to pass the message on and the people at the back didn't know? 
Well, the people at the bank are going to be pretty annoyed to find out that they weren't told. Well, it's a little bit like that. Our Lady and Jesus come to tell us that the path that we're on is heading for self-destruction. And so they're calling us to change. They're giving us an opportunity to change, to get off. But if we continue to not want to hear the message, or put our fingers in our ear, or not believe, or try and dismiss it away, well, we do so at our own peril. But it's an act of love. All of this message, all of these messages are an act of love. And if you see it in that light, you won't see it as something to be frightened of. It's certainly something to take serious. But to respond to and to be grateful for God's mercy and love and for Mary's motherly concern for us. So what I'd like to do now is just read to you some of the additional visions that the young visionary Jacinta had between December 1919 and February 1920. Remember she didn't live very long after the apparitions when they finished in 1917. And so there are some really powerful statements that Our Lady gave her, told her about many things. So I'm just going to read these, just one after the other. These are Our Lady's words to Jacinta. The sins of the world are very great. If men only knew what eternity is, they would do everything in their power to change their lives. You must pray much for sinners and priests and religious. Priests must be pure, very pure. They should not busy themselves with anything except what concerns the church and souls. The disobedience of priests and religious to their superiors and to the Holy Father gravely displeases our Lord. Fly from riches and luxury. Love poverty and silence. Have charity even for bad people. More souls go to hell because of sins of the flesh than any other reason. Wow, that really challenges us today. Certain fashions will be introduced that will offend our Lord very much. Remember this is 1919-1920. So if our Lord was offended then, can you imagine how we'd feel about today's fashions? The Mother of God wants more virgin souls bound by the vow of chastity. Woe to women wanting in modesty. Confession is a sacrament of mercy and we must confess with joy and trust. We must confess with joy and trust. Isn't that beautiful? Again, it's all about God loving us, wanting what's best for us. Back to Our Lady's words. Many marriages are not of God and do not please our Lord. Let men avoid greed, lies, envy, blasphemy and impurity. Never speak ill of anyone. Never complain or murmur. Be very patient and patience leads to heaven. Our Lady can no longer uphold the arm of her Divine Son which will strike the world. If people amend their lives, our Lord will even now save the world. But if they do not, punishment will come. Remember, this is just at the end of World War I. If the government of a country leaves the church in peace and gives liberty to our holy religion, it will be blessed by God. Only the politicians today embrace that. Tell everyone that God gives graces through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Tell them to ask graces from her, and that the Heart of Jesus wishes to be venerated together with the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Ask them to plead for peace from the Immaculate Heart of Mary, for the Lord has confided the peace of the world to her. 
Lucia also had visions beyond the main events at Fatima. And on the 10th of December 1925, our Blessed Mother and the Christ Child appeared to Lucia in the convent chapel. Remember, Lucia was a nun by that time. The Christ Child spoke first. Have compassion on the heart of your most holy mother, covered with thorns, with which ungrateful men pierce it at every moment, and there is no one to make an act of reparation to remove them. Our Lady then said, Look, my daughter, at my heart, surrounded with thorns, with which ungrateful men pierce me at every moment by their blasphemies and ingratitude. You at least try to console me and say that I promise to assist at the hour of death with the graces necessary for salvation all those who on the first Saturday of five consecutive months shall confess, receive Holy Communion, recite five decades of the Rosary and keep me company for fifteen minutes while meditating on the fifteen mysteries of the Rosary all with the intention of making reparation to me. So this is what we call the Five First Saturday Devotion. And it was a great gift of Fatima. So it's interesting that first of all Jesus appears. And Jesus says, have compassion on the heart of your mother. And talks about the ingratitude and the blasphemies that are committed against the heart of Mary. What Mary has asked of us is that we make reparation on the first Saturday of every month for five consecutive months. And how do we do that? We receive Holy Communion. We go to confession. We recite five decades of the Rosary. And we keep company with Mary for 15 minutes while meditating on the 15 mysteries of the Rosary. And all that is done with the intention of making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. It's important aspect to add that intention because that's what it's all about. And so Mary says that if we do this, that she promises to those that she will assist them at the hour of death with all the graces necessary for salvation. Now just stop and think about that. That is an amazing promise. We're making reparation for what we've done wrong, but when we do, and we still can't repay the debt anyway, Our Lady promises to give us all the graces necessary for our salvation. Yeah. It's a bit like if I owe someone a thousand dollars and they come to me and they say, look, just pay me five dollars. Just pay me one dollar a month for five months. And in Thanksgiving, I'll give you a million dollars. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. The incredible gift. You know, a Lord just bending over backwards to encourage us to pray to start thinking about making reparation. And we don't want to be doing it just because we're getting something. Yes, Our Lady has promised us the gift, but let's try and have an attitude of why this is important to Jesus and Mary. Because we need to make reparation for the sins of the world. You know, when I was thinking about this, this message goes out to Catholics. It's pretty hard to expect non-Catholics to accept this message. I mean, that's only reasonable. So, if it's meant to the Catholics, and how many of the Catholics actually know the message? And then how many of those are actually doing it? It's very, very small amount. So we who are hearing this message now, we who understand it, we have an obligation to respond because if we don't, who will? There's not a lot of people in the world who will respond to this. But in a sense, it doesn't have to be everybody in the world responding because the power of this grace is so great 
that it doesn't need the whole world to do it. But if all the Catholics did it, that would be enough to transform the world. So please, I encourage you to take seriously the words of Jesus and Mary and to live them not out of fear, but to live them out of love. True love. Jesus and Mary give us so much and they ask for such little in return. And you know, if we knew the graces that await us, if we knew the joy and the love and the freedom and what it means to have eternal life, we would drop everything. No one would refuse this message. But sadly, you know, Satan's not called the father of lies for nothing. Jesus referred to him as the father of lies because we get filled with things that are not true. We get told lies about what's going to make us happy in life, what's going to make us fulfilled. But sin never, ever satisfies the deepest longings of the human heart. Only God can. That's the way we've been made. Now just to clarify some points, Lucia had discussions with Jesus about the difficulty of confessing on Saturdays. And so Jesus said that providing they go to confession within eight days and that provided when they receive me in Holy Communion, they are in the state of grace. And he stressed that they must have the intention for making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And Lucia asked, My Jesus, what about those who forget to make this intention when they go to confession? And Jesus said they can do so at their next confession, taking advantage of the first opportunity to go to confession. So we'll leave it there for today and we'll pick up next week to conclude our third and final session on the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima. I hope you have enjoyed our time together today, but please don't go away because as usual we'll be right back with our special guests who'll be sharing something of their personal love for our Blessed Mother. So welcome back. Today's special guest is Father Anthony Bernard. And Father Anthony is the parish priest at St. Joseph's Camberdown Parish in Sydney. He's been a priest for seven years. And he's very passionate about the Sacred Heart of Jesus. In fact, when he was ordained by Divine Providence, the relics of St. Margaret Mary happened to be in the cathedral at the same time. So I think that's very providential for his whole ministry. And he's very passionate about spending time in front of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. So welcome to the program, Father Anthony. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for inviting me. Privilege to share. It's good. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Father, could you tell us something, please, about how you discovered your calling to be a priest? What was that tug in the heart that you felt that called you to the priesthood? There's two moments. I remember in reflecting back on my, my journey, my childhood, there was this loneliness within me, and this loneliness was always this sense of wanting to um, have this uh, soulmate, you know, soulmate, this whole idea of coming, I come from a big family, and always this perception, this idea that I would get married and have a big family and, you know, the wife I find will be my soulmate, my companion. And that was my loneliness driving that. That's happened in the background. So that's there in childhood, always in the back of my mind. When I was only seven, and I remember this uh, kind of vividly, and I think my, the other one might have been year eight, both incidents may have happened in year seven. One was at the end of a, a school mass, and I just remember this recessional song. It was about, I will um, speak to uh, liberate the people, liberate the sick and the lonely and whatnot. And I just felt this strong sense that, you know, I want to do that. I want to 
give my life to help set the prisoners free and 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 the, the sick and heal the sick and, and whatnot. There was a strong sense. I remember that vividly. Hmm. And I felt really alive coming out of that mass. That was one incident. Another incident was it was in a class, a music class, and we were practicing songs. And one song was Here I Am, Lord. And I remember that saying that very from the heart. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. And those words spoke very strongly. So I can almost, those two scenes have been memorable scenes in my life. And so, okay, that, that's there in the, that, those two instances. Anyway, strange thing is, I had no intention to become a priest. And even when I said that, and I meant it, I was trying to think in my head, how do I do that at the same time being married? Something like that. From the age of 13 and 16, I went through a dark period in my life. That dark period was blessing in disguise because I went on a retreat when I was 16 years old, 16 years and two months. And on this retreat, it gave me an opportunity to reflect on my relationship with God. And I realized it wasn't good it wasn't in a good space. And it was a Saturday night and it was a reconciliation theme and whatnot. And it was the first during that Friday night, Saturday, I started to look at my life and I recognized and acknowledged and realized that I was sinning. I was sinning in my heart and I needed to say sorry. And I wanted to change. I didn't like the person to become. I wanted to say sorry to God. And I just, I never was moved so deeply. I just, you know, cried in my heart, had tears. And I said, God, I don't like this. Come, I want to change. I want to be like I was when I was 13 and younger. I want to be um, more ha- like I was, innocent, happy, carefree. I didn't have hatred. I wasn't lustful in my thoughts. Um, I wasn't self-centered. I wasn't negative. And all these big things that just accumulated in those two and a half years. I wanted to forgive that person I hated so badly and whatnot. I wanted to be, I wanted to overcome this, this obsession with lustful thoughts and whatnot. And so I prayed very deeply, went to confession that night and felt different after that. It was, it was just, it was such a beautiful experience. It was very down, very deep, very beautiful. I remember maybe lasted for about two months. I felt like I could die and go straight to heaven. I was so close to God. And then that kind of faded because starting year 11 and 12, got caught up in studies. I prayed less. That became my focus. But I noticed that I needed prayer. I noticed that I, when I prayed, I got close and better. And I was going beautiful for a period of time. Didn't feel like to sin, didn't want to sin. But then I got these little bad habits came back again. I realized that I've got to keep my prayers up and pray and whatever. That day, that weekend, I learned, understood three things. God is real, the devil's real, and God's forgiveness is real. And I wanted to stay close to God. And so from that weekend onwards, um, for me, God was a priority. He was on, you know, without doubt. In the back of my mind, I was always praying to get married. I just took that for granted. I no intention to become a priest. And, and so in the next few years, in the habit or the experience of my mum coming Mass in the morning. My school holidays, I mass, went to Mass in the morning, looked forward to it. I enjoyed Mass more. Uni, I tried to go as often as I could. Got involved, became an acolyte in my parish. And I remember when I became an acolyte, just, I was shaking the first day I was giving the precious body of Jesus to people. For me, that was such a privilege. That was just a mind-blowing Yes. Um, experience and, and I remember shaking and, and then gradually became easier and more comfortable being at the foot of the altar so close as an acolyte challenged me always to look at my personal life and I kept on thinking of you know the pharisaical kind of model you know I'm here in front of people you know I'm helping the priest and so I was always challenging myself internally feeling guilty and then wanting to inspire to be better and, you know, and trying to make resolutions and saying, Jesus, you know, I want to be better and whatnot. So 
that was always a challenge, beautiful challenge and whatnot, and a growth, period of growth. When I was about 20, I think, I heard about Michigori, and reading about that was mind-blowing because you have grown up with Fatima, grown up with Lords, and that happened, Lords happened 150 years ago, Fatima happened less than about 90 years ago, whatnot. And, and Michigori is recent, and it sort of really inspired me, touched me, motivated me, and it gave me a desire. One of the things she challenged people to do was to, yes, pray the rosary regularly, which I was trying to do at the time anyway, read the Bible, which I was trying to do, fast, that's something I embraced, so I tried to do fast twice a week, and that was good because I was disciplined for myself, because I want to get close to God. And I was doing soft trees, and I thought I'd get close to God, my intention would be answered, I'll find a girl that I love, and get married right. <laughs> and, and I went to confession uh, once a month, that's what she asked, I went to confession again. And this just helped me grow, personally. Then I remember hearing someone speak, I think I was about 22, 23, someone said, I was very lonely, someone said, it was challenging us, was just speaking to the scripture about spending time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And I went to my every morning, but I wasn't spending time in the presence of Jesus. And he made me really realize and think, well, if I really truly believe Jesus today, which I did, you know, why don't I spend time just in silence with him, just spend time listening to him, just spend time with him. And as a teacher at the time, you know, in the afternoons, it just struck me. I thought, well, I go home in the afternoons, Yes, I'll go and tutor some people, which I did. But a lot of times I sit home, go home, eat something, and then chill out in front of the TV and watch cartoons. And, you know, I just I knew I spent a waste of time. And I thought, why don't I just spend time with Jesus? And got inspired to spend one hour. You know, the whole Jesus came and I spent one hour of being that, that resonated in my head. And I thought, I, I started to spend one hour with Jesus. So I spent one hour and I, I found... I'll give you the first example. The first day I went, I remember this vividly. Um, I sat there for one hour and my head just raced, just about school, about this and about that. Just raced. Didn't settle, just was really racing. I sat there for an hour, walked out, and I thought, this is a waste of time. You know, my mind was just so distracted. I felt like, why did I bother? And what did that accomplish? And I thought, wait a minute. I want to come again. I'm going to do this. I'm going to something driving within me. No, I'm going to do this again. And I found that I did it every day. I could say almost for us till now. I try to find one hour each day to spend, sit with Jesus, spend time with just to clear my head. And I found an hour of distractions became 40 minutes, became 30 minutes, became 20 minutes, became 10 minutes, and 5 minutes, and Two minutes and within approximately most times two, one minute, just distractions in my head and my mind gets clear. And I found a very strengthening, just spending time Jesus. And I learned more about myself. It seems like time of growth, time of learning, time of listening, time of just, just learning to discipline myself from the desire of wanting to run or run and do nothing productive. And that was helpful. Just, and it helped my relationship with Jesus, just very intimate time, just spending time with him. That was, you know, um, very formative part of my life. And it gave me a lot of consolation in my lonely, period, my lonely time. When I was 27, uh, in the meantime, a lot of people would say to me, oh, Anthony, you know, you should come first, you know, be a good priest. And I'd react negatively because um, I was lonely in my head. How can I? You know, hopefully loneliness and priesthood and wanting to get and that loneliness associated to marriage, right? You know, when I was 27, my auntie was, she's got a gift of praying in tongues and one day she came to visit my uh, mother, her sister, and my mum said to her, Francis, why don't you pray for Anthony? I said, oh, mum, I don't need prayers. I'm okay, you know. I'm, okay, I've got a massive morning. I was done adoration um, you know, spending time with Jesus, just fun, just second Wednesday day, or every day. And I thought, well, I'm in a good mum, I'm doing okay. I didn't think I can do better than that. Anyway, she's, 
I wasn't going to be rude. She insisted and she prayed for me. She sat, sat next to me. I was in my room or my bed and she sat next to me. And she just prayed. And for, within five minutes, she's praying very quietly. And she said to me, Anthony, God's telling me three things. One, lonely. Two, you don't want to live. And three, low esteem. And kind of taken aback and I realized God was telling me through her. He said, I'm going to ask God to take that from you. She prayed for another five or ten minutes or so. And I walked away from that prayer feeling different, happy, different. And it just dawned on me. Like just, it was just the next day, that day, and the next day, and after you know, that that feeling, that emptiness, that loneliness wasn't there anymore. I had to come to terms and learn. I thought maybe it'll come back again. Maybe it's not long term. Maybe it's just temporary. You know, just over the next two and a half years of learning to readjust and come to realize that feeling of being happy and complete. You know, not needing and thinking I needed a, that that hole was needed to be filled by um, a person. It's just my prayer was different. My prayer was to God. Okay, you know, if you want me to become priest, show me. You know, and I felt like he was giving me a choice. He wasn't forcing me for anything. He was giving me a choice. He said, Anthony, you can get married. I'm not going to stop you. You can be single. I'm not going to stop you. And I'll bless you either way, or if you become a priest. And I'll bless you. And I said to God, well, what, my question to God was, what do you want me to do? And I needed that affirmation. And the signs happened that showed me and affirmed that that's what God wanted me to do. And I needed that because my prayer for so many years has been, when you get married, I didn't want to uh, be in a situation where, what if, or um, maybe I made the wrong choice, or you know, maybe that girl would come later, and I, was, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll make the wrong decision. I didn't want, I wouldn't want that. Didn't want to have that those um, doubts. I just want to have that clarity yeah. and certainty. And so for me, that was important. Um, I just thank God because it can help me keep focused to uh, make the most of my formation. And, and during that time, always, even in the seminary, life goes a priest. Spending that time with Jesus is so important for me, so vital. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Father Anthony, you've just come back from pilgrimage to the Holy Land and to Lourdes. Could you tell us something, please, about your experience on your pilgrimage and perhaps if there are any special uh, moments that relate to Our Lady that our listeners might be interested to hear? Yes, I've, I went on pilgrimage with three other people. We did things together. Most of the times they did things by themselves and I did things by myself. And two places I was able to sit a lot because we gave ourselves time at these places. In Jerusalem, I remember spending time in the upper room, which is beautiful. And then, and particularly where I was, supposed, I was able to spend more time was at the foot of the cross in Calvary. In the, the Holy Sepulchre, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Mm-hmm. And there was two times I was there. One day I was there uh, afternoon, evening, till they closed. And another day I was able to get there, I think it was 2 o'clock in the morning, till about, I think, 6 or whatever, or 6. And I had some sleep before that, and I got up and went there. And it was good because I was... Wasn't a drowsy and, and wonderful sleep. I was more, my mind was clear and was there, particularly um, focused. And I just, it just, it was beautiful because you were able to think and feel and sort of, kind of, real, you know, sort of realize, you know, this is Jesus dying for us, and, and you know, the love that, you know, this is a moment of God's love, you know, Jesus' love and. And praying for my ministry, praying for the people, praying for humanity, just thinking about you know, the, the mercy that's coming from the cross at this place, this moment, and being there at the foot of the cross, you know, um, you know, trying trying to go back in time. It's not about it's, it's being there in time, knowing that you know this is this is this is where Jesus is, where He was um, with us. That was beautiful. That, that was that for me. That was very. That was very warm, profound, and sacred. And, uh, to me, it's one of the 
sacred places on earth, the most sacred place on earth. Um, and that, that was beautiful. The second place, which I say the second sacred place on earth, which for me on this pilgrimage was in Nazareth. And um, I spent time, a lot of time there for, I think, four nights or something. So I was able to spend hours and hours just kneeling where the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in, uh, in the Church of the Annunciation. It's a little grotto. And there was times I was just busy, people walking past. There was other times in the afternoon particularly where it was just this beautiful peace, serenity, and and you can really connect better. And, and for me, uh, as a priest, it was um, appreciating what Mary said, what Mary did, um, that whole kind of, you know, God is asking Mary. You know, these are the people we don't really agree, fully realize and comprehend but how profound this is. You know, God is asking Mary, you know, do you want to take my child, you know? And Mary's response, either you know, question out of disbelief, you know, me, but her response is yes. You know, I'm handmaid of the Lord. Be, be done to me according to your will. And there's this whole kind of say, okay, so I'm surrendering to your will. You know, I want to do what you want me to do. Not what I want to do, what you want me to do. And I could relate it to my priesthood, saying, oh God, you know, I want to do, I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to do you know, what I think I want to do. Um, you know, and I want to die to my selfishness. I want to die to my ego. I want to just die to my own agenda. I want to do what you want me to do. And it was that was beautiful. That was profound. That was yeah, this renewing of my priesthood, renewing of my devotion, desire of wanting to serve God, and reaffirming and, and just giving God permission that, you know, this is... Now, only your will, no, we're giving you permission. So sharing that with Mary was profound, and to really appreciate, you know, this is where this is where it happened. This is the moment of conception. You know, so I could say so the beginning. I was that's the beginning, and then uh, the crucifixion is Jesus, you know, the end, so to speak. You know, oh. his death. Um, and so I was able to connect to those two places. Very profound, very beautiful. Hmm, beautiful. Father Anthony, can you share with us a little bit how Mary has helped you in your priestly ministry? Perhaps there might be things that in, in your journey that uh, our listeners might be able to um, take some wisdom from? Well, being you know, like I've been introduced to Mary as, as a young age um, and um, through my mother and always encouraging to pray the rosary. There's a lot of times she's you know, how do I put it? Strongly encouraged me to pray the rosary. I prayed the rosary many times where I didn't feel like it, didn't want to, but felt sort of peaceful after and felt different. Yes. And always thinking to myself, why was I fighting it? You know, why didn't I want to say it? You know, and that's been a common experience, which is interesting. But I've always known how important it is. And I've always you know, kept uh, Mary close in the nature of said Hail Marys or said part of the rosary every day or whatever it is. Uh, she's always been there as my mother, spiritual mother. It's very strongly. She came more alive to me, more kind of, more strongly. Part of my um, personal prayer life was through Medjugorje, just so that's been there always along my journey. Before I became a priest, and I was inspired by a nun. She put the idea in my head, and it made sense. It made very strong sense. Um, and I prayed about it, and I prepared myself for it. She was all about consecrating this priesthood to Mary. And so I went to time I was had a spiritual director, and I, I shared that with him, and you know, he said, yes, it's a good idea. And it was actually inspired by another person as well another lady and she brought it up leading up to the to the priesthood as well and so something I embraced and I, I wrote my own prayer and 
I was able to consecrate myself, my priesthood, at my ordination to Mary. And for me, that was saying, look, you know, Mary, I want you to to help me in my priesthood. So I'm conscious that she's working with me in my priesthood. I'm conscious of Mary's powerful intercession. I've come to understand more and more, learning more about how JP gave his whole papacy, you know, his whole, you know, totus tuus, you know, appreciating what he did, understanding more and more the powerful intercession of Mary mm-hmm. and all my people's prayers because, oh, well, Mary knows what to do with them. Mary knows who I'm praying for. Mary knows who needs their graces more than I do. So um, I know I can trust her. And I'm just conscious that she's helping me in my ministry. Yeah, she's, she's, she's there. She's working in a powerful way, and I don't doubt it for a minute. That's wonderful. Father Anthony, thank you so much. Well, you've covered so many wonderful points there. I think many of us can relate to that loneliness and yearning for a soulmate. And I've heard you mention it before, and it always fascinates me how you say how that adoration really filled that void. So I'm sure a lot of people can draw on that experience and and try that for themselves. And you also mentioned about, you know, repentance that weekend that was like a cross experience. And and now in hindsight, it, it became a real blessing. So there's that whole bit of cross and resurrection I was also touched by what you said about how you discovered that God Satan and forgiveness were all real wow I think there's a there's a lot of (laughs) reflection we can do just on that and that joy and that power in prayer it's so easy isn't it just to rattle off prayers but to to really connect with the heart surrendering to God's will you mentioned that and um Obviously, there's a big element of trust there to do that. And I always think of that Divine Mercy Prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. So, wow, you've, you've covered some wonderful points there, Father Anthony. Thank you so much for being with us and for really um, real heartfelt um, sharing. And I'm sure um, all the listeners are deeply touched as much as I was to hear these, um, this beautiful journey of your story. So thank you so much for being with us, Father. No, thank you, Paul, for allowing me to share. And um, this is all for God's glory. And uh, you know, I think each of us, and I hope every each one of us, each one of us, you know, can only be inspired from each other and just have a deeper desire to love God. Mm. You know, we all go through periods where it's dry, and you know, we get you know disheartened or distracted, whatever. But yeah. consciously. Yeah, we're inspired. We're here to inspire each other. So, and thank you for allowing me to share. Well, thank you, and you certainly have inspired us all today. So to all our listeners, thank you very much for joining us. Please join us next time on Our Queen, Our Mother, when we'll once again look at and explore the graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary.